Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. This morning we will in a moment be looking at verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8 and God's instruction to the younger men in the church. Um, I do plan to preach on verses 9 and 10, but next week, being Christmas Eve, I'm going to skip over to verses 11 to 14, for the grace of God appeared, and we'll look at those verses. Then, after that, we'll go back to verses 9 and 10. Uh, The subject has been, in these verses in chapter 2, the spiritually sound church. A spiritually sound church holds to sound doctrine, but also lives sound doctrine. And you know the reason why, right? Because truth is meant not only to be believed, but lived. Not only meant to be confessed, but applied. Because the gospel is transformative. The truth of God's word is transformative. And so we've seen that for a church to be spiritually sound... The transformative work of the gospel must be evident in the lives of its pastors. So we see that in Titus 2, verse 1. But also the whole congregation, verses 2 through 8. And therefore the Apostle Paul addresses older men in verse 2, older women in verse 3, younger women in verses 4 and 5, and as we'll see today, younger men in verses 6 through 8. And Titus was in that category of younger men. And so having considered older men, older women, and young women in verses 2 through 5, we now turn our attention to young men in verses 6 through 8. A spiritually healthy church has young men who live out sound doctrine. And as we've seen, the term here, young men, is a broad category, probably referring to men under the age of about 50. And so that makes some feel better regarding the category they're in. Titus was one of those young men. And therefore, verse 6 addresses young men specifically, but then Paul addresses Titus in verses 7 and 8 since he falls in this group of young men. So young men, hear the word of God to you this morning. Titus chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Likewise... Urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine dignified, sound in speech which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So here's our outline for this morning. Young men, first, be prudent in your thinking. Be prudent in your thinking. That's from the word sensible. Secondly, be a pattern for others to follow. Be a pattern for others to follow. We see that in verse 7. But then there's a purpose that is given. Be prudent and be a pattern, always remembering the purpose, and we see that in verse 8. Let's begin with be prudent in your thinking. Or be prudent in your judgment. Verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Young men, you're to be sensible in all areas of your life. This is an overarching overarching character trait. Being sensible is a universal qualification for holiness. It is universal in that it affects and is applied to all areas of your life. You're to be sensible in all things, in all areas, all parts of your life, in your behavior, in your thinking, in your words. It is to permeate every aspect of your life. But it's also a universal qualification for holiness because it is required not just of young men, but all believers. Sensible. This is a word that we've seen before and we'll see again. Elders are to be sensible, Titus 1 verse 8. In Titus 2 verse 2, the older men are called to be sensible. Older women are to be sensible. It's implied in verse 3, since they are to teach this to younger women, 
Verse 5, they are to be sensible. And here, young men are called to be sensible. And he says, urge them to be sensible. And then we'll see in verse 12 that the apostle says that the grace of God appeared and it instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live, here's the word again, sensibly. And so it's a qualification of elders, older men, older women, young women, young men, And it's really a characteristic of all who are the recipients of grace. It is what God is bringing about in our sanctification. So here again, we see that the standard of holiness that God requires for all believers, the whole church, younger and older, male and female, is fundamentally the same. Have you noticed that while the roles and responsibilities in the family might be different, or roles and responsibilities in the church may be different, that the standard of holiness is the same for everyone. We see the necessity of godly character here in this word. We're to be sensible. But it's not just, again, for young men. It's for everyone. But we see this in other areas as well, that what's mentioned for one person is also true for another. For example, in verse 7, he'll say to young men, be an example of good deeds. But that's not just for young men. Remember, pastors are to be examples of good deeds. 1 Peter 5 verse 3, elders are to prove to be examples to the flock, it says. And here in Titus 2, older women are to exhibit godly character and be an example to younger women. Otherwise, their ministry to them would be hypocritical. In verse 7, it says that young men are to be dignified, but this is not just for young men. This is to be true of pastors and deacons and their wives as well. 1 Timothy 3, 4 says, A pastor must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity, that the manner in which he manages his household is to be characterized by being with dignity. He's to be dignified in that responsibility. 1 Timothy 3 verse 8 says, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity. They're to be dignified. And 1 Timothy 3 verse 11, speaking to deacons' wives, it says they are to be dignified. But it's not just for church leaders and their wives, but in Titus 2 verse 2, older men, it says, are to be dignified. So young men, older men, Pastors, deacons, their wives. It's really to be true of all believers. In verse 7, it says of young men, they're to be sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. So here he speaks of being beyond or above reproach. Well, in Titus 1 verse 6, it says the qualification of an elder is that he must be above reproach. 1 Timothy 3 verse 12, an overseer then must be above or Titus, first, excuse me, 1 Timothy 3 verse 2 says an overseer must be above reproach. So that is true of young men. Their behavior is to be above reproach. That's true of pastors. But here he speaks specifically of their speech being beyond reproach. But that's also seen in Titus 2 verse 3 of older women who are not to be malicious gossips. He just gets more specific about the kind of speech that would be a reproach if they're malicious gossips and they're not to be that. Instead, their speech is to be beyond reproach. So you can see as you look at all these character traits among believers across age and gender, even certain roles and responsibilities in the church of pastors, deacons, and congregation, the, the, the character is the same. So they're, they're not to be double standards in the body of Christ. There are to be no double standards according to age or gender or role in the church when it comes to character, godliness, and holiness. The younger and the older, male and female, pastors and congregation, they all have the same Holy Spirit at work in us, producing His fruit. We all have the same Word of God, which is living and active, in the life of the believer. We all have the same standard of holiness. For God has said to us all, 
You shall be holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1, verse 16. So there are to be no double standards of character and holiness in the body of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that there are not different roles or distinctions when it comes to who can fulfill particular responsibilities in the church or no distinction of gender roles in the family or in the church. The Bible is very clear. Men are to be pastors. Those pastors must be able to teach, but godly older women must be uh, those who are teaching what is good as well. Both teach, but their audience, so to speak, is different. And the, the office is different. Men are to serve as pastors. Uh, older women are to simply be in a discipleship relationship, teaching what is good to, again, who they teach is specific to young women. Men can be pastors, women cannot. Men can teach both genders of all ages. Women are called specifically to teach younger women. So again, the character qualifications are the same, but there are differences and distinctions in roles within the church, just as there are in the family. But the point is this, there are no double standards when it comes to holiness. And this is important. Don't have one set of standards of holiness for pastors and another set of standard of holiness for the congregation. And don't have one set of, standard of standards of holiness for those who are older, but those who are younger, well, maybe that's a different set of standards of holiness. No, they're the same. And we certainly don't use youth or younger years as an excuse to live in sin, sowing wild oats, as we say, or exploring the world, wasting time, and so on. No, the call to holiness is the same for young men as it is for older men. The same for young women as it is for older women. The same for the congregation as it is for pastors or deacons. All of those who have been saved by God's grace are to pursue holiness. We're called to be holy as He is holy. Now, back to the word sensible. Let me remind you of what this word means. We've seen it before, but let me remind you again as it pertains to young men. The word here, sensible, refers to a person who curbs desires and impulses so as to produce a measured and orderly life. And therefore, some translations translate this word self-controlled, sensible, self-controlled. It is a self-control that comes from having a sound mind. The word has something to do with wisdom, the Greek word behind it. And so it's the idea that we think rightly about things, we think biblically about things, and therefore as we apply that to our lives, our lives are characterized by wisdom, we're sensible, we have sound judgment, a sound mind, and therefore that produces a life of self-control. Because when there's a lack of self-control, often the root of it is we're not thinking biblically and rightly about something, we've lost sound judgment. And now we're losing control of ourselves as a result. So this is a life that is characterized by sound judgment. It's used to refer to soundness of thinking, of mind, to be reasonable, to think clearly with discernment so as, again, to produce self-control in the life of the person. And so a person must be clear-headed if he is to be self controlled, or to be a godly person. The verb form of this word sensible is found in Romans 12, verse 3, where Paul writes, For through the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, every one among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. So he's talking about our thoughts. Don't think too highly of yourself than you ought to think. But to think so as to have, here's the word, sound judgment. Sound judgment. Your thinking is to be sensible about yourself. Not too high. See, this is necessary to be sensible, to have sound judgment. If we're to have humility and see ourselves rightly. In 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment. Be sensible. Be clear-headed. As the end approaches, 
as it becomes nearer and nearer, it wouldn't be a cause for you to just live a riotous life, but no, to be more sensible and self-controlled, to have a sober spirit, he says, for the purpose of prayer. And so being sensible, having sound judgment, leads to a way of life, again, that is marked by moderation, a disciplined life, not given to extremes, not like a pendulum swinging back and forth. A person who's sensible with this kind of sound judgment leads a measured and purposeful life. He's not aimless. He's not careless with his life, but he's spiritually alert. He has a purposefulness for his life. And so again, this is related to a word that is often translated in our Bibles as being sober-minded or having a sober spirit. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, be of sober spirit. It would be a word very closely related to this word of be sensible. Be sober, clear-headed, clear-thinking, so that your life is marked by moderation. And then it says, be on the alert for your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, Closely related to this being sensible and being of sober spirit is the idea of I'm alert. I'm not sleepwalking through life. There's again this purposefulness in my life. And here it's applied to young men. Youth and younger years are a time to be disciplined and well-ordered and purposeful in your life. You see, the temptation for those who are younger and here young men is sometimes to think that they have plenty of time. And they'll get serious about these things later in life. I'll begin to be sensible later. Now's the time to just be free-spirited and do what I want to do and live my life how I want to live it. Not for the Christian young man. Young men, youth, younger years are not a time to be lazy, not a time to be aimless, not a time to be careless. Now you reap what you sow. Don't sow sin in all its consequences because you'll reap those consequences that you've sown in youth later in life. They don't just vanish with age. And so often what you see are the warnings of Scripture and the call of Scripture for those who are younger age, who haven't reached those years that we call older, to be very careful how you walk because they're they're not meaningless years. That what you're sowing right now is going to bear either the fruit of righteousness in latter years or the fruit of unrighteousness. So those sins of youth, if you give yourself to that, not living a life that's sensible and self-controlled, but if you give yourself to an uncontrolled, unrestrained life, those same sins will continue and they will sprout up again and again and dominate your life in latter years and sometimes even, practically speaking, destroy you. So that's why Paul says to Titus, you need to urge young men to be sensible. Now you notice so far... In verse 2, it says, older men are to be this. And verse 3, older women likewise are to be this. So that they can encourage the young women to be these things as well. But now when he gets to verse 6, he uses a word, a verb. He says, Titus, I want you to urge this of young men. This is very important. You need to exhort them. The word here to urge means to implore, to beg, to exhort, to strongly encourage. And I believe he's using it here. Paul uses it often throughout his letters as he's borne along by the Spirit of God when he wants to press something upon someone in particular with great urgency. Here he's saying to the young men in particular, make sure you urge them, Titus. It's not a suggestion. You're pleading with them. It's so important that they be characterized by this because young people can sometimes think, well, no, that's for those who are older, have years. No, urge them and pour them. Why is it so important that the young men in particular make sure that they are living lives that are sensible and self-controlled and of sound judgment? Well, it's because as we read the scriptures, we know that young men face 
particular dangers, particular pitfalls. And youth and younger years have their peculiar temptations that they need to watch out for. And while these spiritual dangers and temptations can be and often are for all, especially even older men, these are temptations that may be stronger in life when we're younger, and in particular for young men. I'm very thankful for the book of Proverbs, which is applicable to us all, but is particularly addressed to those who are younger, and even more particularly given to young men, that they may learn the way of wisdom. Because young men in particular need this instruction, need to be very careful, need to be urged to not waste those years, but live them to the glory of God and pursue holiness and live lives that are sensible and wise and self-controlled. So you read in these, remember, pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and now Titus, the Apostle Paul pressing this upon, upon two young men. Here, Titus, but also Timothy, who was a young man. Turn, if you will, to Titus Excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just one book to the left. A couple of pages. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, Timothy fell into this category of a young man. Probably Timothy, again, was around the age of 40. But that was considered a young man. And therefore, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, notice the language that he how he exhorts and urges even Timothy personally. He says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. So here Timothy is what we don't always call younger, but he calls him a younger man. He'll say in another place, let no one despise your youthfulness. And here he's still calling Timothy to flee from youthful lusts. In other words, these are lusts, certain desires, sinful desires that that are maybe more prone for those in their younger years. Youthful lusts. If someone's been walking with Christ for a number of years, applying these verses as a young man... Then as they become older, they tend to become more spiritually stable. But younger men can be prone to unwise decisions that can destroy their lives. It can hinder the lives of others, and it can hinder the testimony of the church. Listen, that's why there's so much advertising that you see today, TV, radio, on the internet, whatever, that targets young men in particular. Now, they're the targets for older people, but if you ever watch a Western on TV, what are the commercials about? There you go. Thank you. You've been watching the Westerns too. I was waiting to see if someone would do that. Yes, the the Medicare supplement commercials, right? If you're watching the older Westerns. It targets, those are the ones probably more prone in general to watch those things. But For other shows, it's targeted toward the young man or the young woman. But if you think about the young man, they're targeting that age. There's the the 18 to 35-year-old graphic or, or demographic that's very important to get them. It's a critical time to reach them, the advertisers say. And the reason is because hooking a young man with some habit, some product, some way of thinking tends to hook him for life. And the world knows that this is a critical time of life. And this sinful world system will seek to enslave those young men. I want you to think this way about vehicles. I want you to think this way about your life and relationships. I want you to think this way about alcohol. They want to hook them because once they get them at that young age, then they know we can get them for life. And I believe young men are a particular target of the world, but also of the adversary, the devil. Think of it like this, young men. If the adversary can get you to fall, to stumble, if he can devour you at a young age, it has vast implications. Your marriage can be destroyed. 
Your, your wife can be affected for years to come. Your children can be greatly affected by your sin. And if the adversary can get you at a young age, the implications for bringing reproach on the name of Christ are great. The adversary wants you to go down a path of immorality that will have effects for many years to come. And he wants the church of Jesus Christ to be affected. He wants reproach to be brought on the name of Christ. So in light of this, in understanding these things, the Apostle Paul, born alone by the Spirit, says, Titus, urge young men, be sensible, be self-controlled, think biblically, have a well-ordered and disciplined life. Now, what are some of the particular dangers that young men face that require this sound mind, this self-control, this prudence, this being sensible? I'll just mention three. Not too long ago, I preached a series of sermons, a call for men to be godly, and I touched on each of these. So let me just mention, though, three areas. This is why it's so important, young men, to be sensible. Three areas in which... You can be prone, and we all can, but in particular, we think of young men, can be prone to not being sensible and having self-control. Here are the three areas. Spiritual laziness, being passive, not using our time wisely. That's one area. Secondly, in younger years, we're more influenced by our peers, by the company we keep. So it's important to be sensible, have sound judgment regarding the influences upon our lives. And then the third area is in the area of sexual temptation. And consider spiritual laziness, a particular area that a young man could be prone to, living passively with little aim or purpose. I have plenty of time to get more focus in my life. Right now I'm young and I want to explore. I want to do things. I want to have fun. I want to, I want to get so serious with my life. I don't want to be dignified. That sounds like an old person. No, I, I'm young. And so you begin to live without aim or purpose, which often turns into just laziness, spiritually speaking. In Titus chapter 1, verse 12, this was a temptation in the culture. He says that one of their own, the Cretans are always said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This was the culture they lived in. They could be prone to that. That's why the book of Proverbs addresses laziness, spiritual laziness. And in particular, most of it is addressed toward young men. Be diligent. Don't be spiritually lazy because youth is not a time for spiritual laziness, but spiritual industry. So you remember I preached a sermon on being spiritually industrious men. If you haven't listened to that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon called Spiritually Industrious Men, Purpose to Apply It to Your Life. We, we looked at Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand. Here, here we have the mind again. You have to understand what the will of the Lord is, what His moral will is. And your mind, your thinking needs to be shaped by the moral will of God. And then it needs to be lived out so that there's a life that is sensible and spiritually industrious, bearing fruit to the glory of God. So the sensible young man doesn't take his life for granted. He doesn't think, oh, I have so many years. No, he understands life is a vapor and every day is important. And he's not guaranteed how many days he will live. He doesn't see time as a given, but as a gift from God. And so he uses his days and his time wisely in accordance with the will of God in Scripture. So young men, beware of spiritual laziness. Give yourself to spiritual industry and fruitfulness. And in this way, be sensible. So there's the temptation to be spiritually lazy, but there's also this particular temptation or pitfall to be sinfully influenced by others. And so we have to be careful of the company we keep. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, 
but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Or Proverbs 2, verse 20, Walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. Or you remember Proverbs 1, beginning in verse 11, where the instruction to young men is this, Come, if, if someone says they're trying to entice you, your peers are entice you, come with us. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol, even whole as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet far from their path. For their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. See, these are written to young men because... As older men, we should have learned those things. And we're, we're less drawn to just throw in our lot with the crowd. But this is a particular temptation and danger of those who are younger. We need to be sensible. We need to understand that who we spend time with affects our souls. And it will bear fruit for years to come, good or bad. One of the pitfalls of youth and younger years is pride. You can think that you know better than those who have gone before. And you want to blaze your own trail. You want to do your own thing. And so you listen more to yourself or to your contemporaries. And you, you might view older age with more contempt. Listen, young people, God has not called you to blaze a new trail. Christ has gone before. He has blazed the trail. And saints of old have gone before. They have followed Christ on that trail. And a sensible young man is careful about the company he keeps. He wants to keep the company of older, seasoned saints who have gone before. And then he applies this to the company he keeps by way of television, internet, social media, whatever the form is. He's careful what he listens to. He's sensible about these things. He wants to think rightly because he knows bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. But there's a third area that young men in particular face temptations in, an area where it's so important to be sensible. And although I preached on this so much, it just can't be emphasized enough. It is this area of sexual temptation. It abounds for younger men in particular. So young men, you must be on guard all the more. You must have your passions and desires under control, under the control of the Spirit and in conformity with the Word of God. You need to be clear-headed. You need to think with sound judgment. Remember, talking about those advertisers trying to hook you at, young, at a young age? Well, they do it most often through sexual temptation. Appealing to you sensually in various ways. You need to be sensible. Again, go to the book of Proverbs often. and Be reminded of the dangers of sexual immorality. Be reminded of its ultimate end. I think of Proverbs 5, beginning in verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. That you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips... And here's the warning, I'm an adulteress, drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. Think clearly about this. Have sound judgment. When desires begin to increase, sinful desires, understand where that path leads. It leads ultimately to death. So stay far away. It will destroy you. 
you'll be reduced to nothing more than, as he says, a loaf of bread. Or as it says in Proverbs 7, verse 21 or 22, suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Think sensibly, young men in particular, make sure you're always on guard, thinking clearly about the dangers of sexual immorality. Of course, older men need to be sensible in this area too, but often the sexual sins of the older man are because of his lack of being sensible in his younger years. He has sown to the flesh for many years, and now the deadly fruit is finally coming to light. So young men, flee. Flee from youthful lust. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Run from it. Take flight from it. This is sensible. Escape from it quickly. And as I've said to you before, there are times that we're to stand firm against the schemes of the devil and this onslaught. And that's the language of Scripture. There are times that you stand firm and you fight, but there are times when the wisest thing to do is just run and flee. Flee immorality, 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee idolatry, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. Put as much distance between you and sin as you can. Don't go near the door of her house. It's dangerous. Be like Joseph and run and flee literally from those things. So being sensible means that you think rightly about these things. You're thinking rightly about sin, the danger of it. So, 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, he says, Now flee from youthful lust. But that's not enough. You need to pursue certain things. You need to chase after, run after certain things. Those things are righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So here we have this principle of sanctification, of putting off sin and putting on righteousness, fleeing from sin, but we flee from sin to righteousness. We pursue holiness. And that's what a sensible young man does. And so, back to Titus chapter 2. Young men, be prudent. Be sensible. Think biblically. Guard your mind. Be self-controlled. And then he goes on to talk about what then that will yield. You're living sensibly. So then verse 7, In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. With purity in doctrine, dignified. So then he says, be a pattern for others to follow. Be an example of good deeds. Again, you would often think that this would be particularly applied to older men. But here he's saying, no, you younger men be an example of good deeds. The word example here, it, it, literally, it, it's of one who's taking a hammer and a chisel and, and forming some, some object with skill. Maybe like a statue as he chisels it out. And therefore, it became a word that was used of someone who, having been chiseled, so to speak, and, and forged by whatever it is, it becomes a pattern and example of, to follow. And so Paul is saying, young men, you have a life that others can look up to and emulate. And one of the ways you combat the dangers of various temptations is you're saying, I'm not only battling that, but my life, even as a young man, is to be one that is an example for others in the body of Christ to follow. And again, this was the exhortation to Timothy as well. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So a young man might think, well, I'm young. I don't have that much of an influence in the body of Christ for its spiritual stability and soundness. Yes, you do. What an encouragement it is in the body of Christ to see young men who are examples among us. Young men, do you see yourselves as in that way? Do you think that 
your life actually will contribute to the spiritual stability and soundness of the church? So he says, show yourself, verse 7, to be an example of of what? An example, a pattern of good deeds. You're his workmanship. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2, verse 10, which God has prepared beforehand that, that we would walk in them. And so you see your life in that way. You understand you've been saved for a purpose. So now you want to be an example of good deeds that God has prepared for you, even in that time of younger years. But not only of good deeds, but you want to be a pattern, an example of good doctrine. It says, with purity in doctrine. Youth and younger years are a time to to read and study the Word of God. Young men, read. Read. Study. Read sound doctrine. Know the truth. Read books on doctrine. Read systematic theologies. Listen carefully to the word preached. Ask your pastors and other godly men questions. How did you come to believe what you believe? Why do you believe that? So that you would be an example of purity in doctrine. The word purity there is the idea of being incorruptible. There is corrupt doctrine. Again, here we're getting back to the link between doctrine and life. If there's corrupt doctrine, it leads to corrupt sinful living. But where there's pure, incorruptible doctrine applied to the life, it now leads to a life that is pure and holy as well. And so use these years to to hammer out, so to speak, your doctrine, that you might be an example so that you, even as young men, can be teachers of the truth, teaching what is good as well. So be an example of good deeds, be a pattern of good and pure doctrine, but also have good and godly demeanor. And here we see that word again, dignified, in verse 7. It's the idea of someone who's good-mannered. They have a good demeanor. They're, They're respectable. It refers to a life that is honorable. And it carries the idea of a seriousness as well. When we think of someone who's dignified, we don't think of someone who's a, a, pardon the slang expression, a goof-off. No, you think of someone, they're dignified. They're serious about life. And here the young men, just like the older men, are called to be dignified and older women to live dignified lives. Who have a mature understanding of the seriousness of life. So there are good deeds, there's good doctrine, there's good manners, good demeanor, and then there's good and godly speech in verse 8. Sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Healthy speech, exemplary speech. One who's put away a deceitful mouth. Proverbs 4, verse 24. For the Lord hates a perverted mouth. Proverbs 8, verse 13. One who's put away slander and abusive speech from your mouth and lying, Colossians 3, 8, and 9. But instead, Colossians 4, verse 6, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So his speech is an example. So here's a godly younger man who's living out sound doctrine. He's prudent. He's sensible. He has a pattern for others to follow of good deeds, good doctrine, good manners, good demeanor, good speech. But here's the purpose in verse 8. So that the opponent will be put to shame and have nothing bad to say about us. The glory of God is at stake. Notice Paul, again, he's writing to Titus and he says, here's what you're to urge upon your fellow young men and upon you. He's urging this upon Titus as well. You live this way so that the opponent would be put to shame having nothing bad to say, not about you, but about us. Now he's including himself. He's really referring to us as the people of God, the church. What the young men do will affect the whole church. And it can affect the whole church for years to come. The spiritually sound young man is concerned with how others view the church. 
the witness of the church in the world, the reputation of the church, because he's concerned for the reputation of Christ. And so the godly young man is consumed with the glory of God. When he hears the prayer, hallowed be your name, his heart leaps. His affections are stirred. And he says, amen, let it be so. Hallowed be your name. May my God and Savior be revered by my life, my thoughts, my lips, my relationships, the whole of my being. I don't want my life to be a cause for others to blaspheme the fair name of my God. Young men, there are opponents to the gospel. They oppose the gospel, they oppose Christ, and they're looking at your life that they may discredit the church and discredit the message we proclaim. May your life put them to shame. If persecution comes, let it be for the sake of the witness of the gospel because we're proclaiming truth and we're living according to that truth, not because of our sin. As 1 Peter 4 verses 15 and 16 says, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian... He is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. And so may our good deeds, our good doctrine, our good manners and demeanor, our good and godly speech be so evident that they have nothing bad to say about us. Nothing bad to say about the people of God unless they lie. And this is the purpose. This is the concern of the Apostle Paul. He's pressing it upon Titus and it is to be impressed upon the young men and really, as we'll see even in verses 9 and 10, for those who find themselves in certain circumstances as slaves, they want to adorn the gospel of God. The purpose in all of this is glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so young men... The spiritual soundness of the church is tied to you as well. So here we see older men, older women, young women, and young men, all necessary for a spiritually sound church. Let me exhort you, since this is urgent, let me conclude by exhorting you young men with the words of J.C. Ryle, published in a book called Thoughts for Young Men. Listen to this somewhat extended quote. It's very helpful, I think, for us to warn us of the dangers of sin and the necessity of pursuing the things that are mentioned here in these verses. J.C. Ryle writes this, Sin is the mother of all sorrow, and no sort of sin appears to give a man so much misery and pain as sins of his youth. The foolish acts the foolish acts he did, the time he wasted, the mistakes he made, the bad company he kept, the harm he did to himself, both body and soul, the chances of happiness he threw away, the openings of usefulness he neglected, all these things that often embitter the conscience of an old man threw a gloom on the evening of his days and fill latter hours of his life with self-reproach and shame. Some men could tell you of the ultimate, or excuse me, untimely loss of health brought on by youthful sins. Disease racks their limbs with pain and life is almost a weariness. Their muscular strength is so wasted that the slightest weight seems a burden. Their eye has become prematurely dim and their natural energy abated. The sun of their health has gone down while it is yet day and they mourn to see their flesh and body consumed. Believe me, this is a bitter cup to drink. Others could give you sad accounts of the consequences of idleness. They threw away the golden opportunity for learning. They would not get wisdom at the time when their minds were most able to receive it, their memory most ready to retain it, and now it's too late. They don't have the time to sit down and learn. They no longer have the same power, even if they had the time. Lost time can never be redeemed. This too is a bitter cup to drink. So he exhorts, young men... Young men, I wish you did, not, you did but know the comfort of a conscience not burdened with a long list of youthful sins, 
These are the wounds that pierce the deepest. These are the arrows that drink up a man's spirit. Seek the Lord early so that you will be spared many a bitter tear. So he says youth is a time for planting, or youth is the planting time of full age, the molding season in a little space of human life, the turning point in the history of a man's mind. By the shoot that springs up, we can judge the type of tree that is growing. By the blossoms, we judge the kind of fruit. By the spring, we judge the type of harvest coming. By the morning, we judge the coming day. By the character of a young man, we may judge generally what he will be like when he grows up. Young men, do not be deceived. Don't think that Don't think you can at will serve lust and pleasures in your beginning and then go and serve God with ease at your latter end. Don't think you can live with Esau and then die with Jacob. It is a mockery to deal with God and your souls in such a fashion. It is an awful mockery to suppose you can give the flower of your strength to the world and the devil and then put off the king of kings with scraps and the remains of your heart the wreck and remnant of your powers. It is an awful mockery, and you may find to your loss the thing cannot be done. And so the exhortation, the urging is, young men, be sensible. In all things, show yourself an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Young men, do you know how to become a godly older man that's described in verse 2 of this chapter? You become a godly older man by being a godly younger man. May it be true among us for the glory of Christ in His church. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these weeks of looking at what is fitting for sound doctrine in the lives of believers in the church. We thank you for this instruction we have from your word, this description of godliness and spiritual soundness and health in the lives of older men and older women and young women and young men. I pray that it would be the case in this body of believers, that we might be a spiritually sound church. Father, I pray that as we have been exhorted to exhibit the same godly character, but then in its application, often different at different ages and stations of life and with different responsibilities, Lord, may we still together encourage and exhort and strengthen one another to be these things. And again, we pray that it would be the case that the body of Christ would not be spoken evil against unless it be untrue. That if there would come slander, false accusations against the church, that it would be exactly that, false. Where may our lives exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And may we have this kind of spiritual soundness so that in those seasons of persecution or difficulties and the onslaughts of the adversary and the world upon us, that we would stand firm in the Lord. And that we together with one heart and one voice, again, glorify you, our God and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.